Hey, 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 Closet Busters and Bold Move Makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the Bold Move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So today it's going to be somewhat of a, well, traditional, typical coming out story to some degrees, but then there's going to be some surprises in here because sometimes when we come out of the closet, especially if we come out later in life, we discover there's other things that we come out of the closet about. And then we find that, oh, we need to pivot our life in careers or our weight or how we do our friendships. And there's lots of things. Sometimes people even come out of the closet and then they discover, oh, there's a, there's a medical closet I also need to come out of because of the stress and everything. But this particular guest, I love that she has come out late in life. Yay, just like me. Um, pivoted her life in so many different directions from her cor- corporate world and moving into what she really loves doing. I'm going to let her explain what she moved to. But also she has another little discovery that kind of ties to mental health and well-being that um, really helped her redesign her life to live authentically as she is. Her name is Sarah Salasat, and I'm just really looking forward to having this conversation because Sometimes we just have to get back to the roots of coming out and then discovering all the beautiful closet doors that open up as we continue to discover ourselves. So Sarah, welcome to Life Uncloseted. I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast with me today. Thank you for having me. Lots of discoveries kind of happened, right? After you came out of the closet. <laughs> um, so what at what point in life? I mean, what you don't have to say, oh, I was, you know, but, you know, were you in your 30s, 40s? When did this uh, suddenly, okay, I'm... I'm coming out. I'm going to live my truth. What stage of life was that for you? In my early 30s. And what was like that thing that like you finally said, okay, I can't, you know, did you kind of have an inkling? Were you trying to live like most of us? I tried to just live like, hey, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to be in the world. But underneath it all, there was just this nudge or was it something that suddenly this the light bulb went off? What was kind of your journey? Yeah, no, much like you, I knew when I was younger uh, I grew up in a very rural, conservative area, and there were a lot of things you could be, but gay was not one of them. Yep. And so it took my moving out of state and then moving to a more populous area for me to be able to stand up and go, mm-hmm. nope, this is authentically who I am, mm-hmm. and this is the life that I'm going to live. And one of the first people I told, I said, I have a crush on a girl. Mm. And she went, no, that's not a thing you can do. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, obviously this was before Katy Perry said, I kissed a girl and I liked it. So, you know, it's one of those interesting (laughs) things, but yes, isn't that interesting? No, you can't be that. And I bet those are a lot of the messages you kept hearing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm. Absolutely. The good thing is I live in a more populous area and friends and family, super welcoming, super inclusive. And I get to live out and proud in my Mm. professional life as well. But yeah, early coming out was definitely an adventure. Yeah. And it's such an interesting thing because um, I came out in my mid thirties and again, I, I knew I came, well, I came out at 19. Everybody knows the story. I came out at 19, went back in the closet and then came out. 
But even my purview of the world in my 30s was much different around this. And this was, well, I I think we were already, Ellen DeGeneres was kind of in the picture and there was a little more presence. You know, we had moved beyond like the Three's Company days where Jack was the the joke of the group and everything and thinking, you know, gay and all this sort of stuff. But um, it was it was definitely something for me that I, I guess I could say I saw some hope. You know, and I live I lived in California, so it wasn't I, I didn't feel like I was surrounded until I finally figured out that, well, Orange County, California is a very conservative pocket of California. Right. And that was after I that's after I moved out of that area and, and more towards the Palm Springs area. And, and then, you know, I was kind of naive. I was like, really, I didn't really feel that when I was there. And then, oh, I'm like, oh, OK, this makes sense now. Um, <laughs> but as you as you found in your new space. Was there moments that, okay, yes, I'm somewhere where I feel much more open and free to be me, but were there times still that you found yourself going, do I need to be careful? Do I need to be, you know, do I need to hold myself back? Did you have any of that happening for you? I think I still do. Uh, Years and years later, I'm happily married. I've got kids. I'm well-known in my field. And there's still just the littlest bit of hesitancy Mm-hmm. Before I say my wife. Right. And in fact, I find saying my spouse, uh-huh. which is a softer way of bringing up that conversation. But I still keep that door just open enough for people to be able to not have the conversation. Right. Because I still get the, oh. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm not interested in that conversation. Right. Well, it's tough, you know. I mean, every once in a while, I don't know. I guess I haven't said the S word in a while. I, I, I haven't said <laughs> spouse in a while, but sometimes I just don't engage, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was interesting. A few, it's been more than a few weeks ago. Um, probably back. Well, no, it probably was. Um, I, I, because of where I live in California, we can, we can actually be swimming outdoors this time of year. Not recently with all the freaking rains we've had, but yeah, um, it was mm-hmm. one of those things that was just really interesting. And um, I was at the pool and one of the guys that I know, who knows I'm gay, um, we're getting undressed to hop in the pool, right? We're all out on the pool deck. Some people, you know, and there's people in the pool already. And, and there's quite a crowd sitting around. He goes, well, Rick, how you doing? How's your husband? And I was like, okay, cool. Everything's good, you know? But uh, there was that moment of little like, and then I'm like, I don't really give a fuck. You know, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, there is that little moment of clenching. Like, do, do I want to be that you know and especially with things the way they are in the world these days mm-hmm. it's kind of tough sometimes you don't know how much to reveal or say and then i'm like i i mean i'm not hidden by any obviously with this podcast there is no hiding who <laughs> i am right uh, mm-hmm. but there are those moments from time to time that makes it really really uncomfortable and i'm just going to encourage anybody who's listening that if you're having those moments, guess what? Welcome to being human. You're you're mm-hmm. fully functioning human being at this stage. So, so as that this started to come about in your life, I know another shift happened as far as career, and that had to be kind of a big moment where it's like, this isn't working either. So, walk mm-hmm. us through into that story a little bit. Yeah. So I was doing really well, corporate America. I was a corporate trainer and really respected in my field and had a lot of 
personal trauma kind of happened in my family who were foster and adoptive parents. And there were some, some significant traumas that happened and I ended up losing my job. And it's like, you know what? I, I can't work for other people anymore. And I started my own business and it was very much so a sink or swim. Either, you know, you've got so much money in the bank account, either you make it work or you don't. And I'm happy to say that multiple years later, later, I made it work. And it's interesting because you say like about those clenching moments. Now I'm a certified NGLCC owned business and I have it Mm. on my signature and everywhere. Like I let everybody know that I'm out. So for the audience that doesn't know what that is, um, I mean, I know what it is, but since you brought it up, you have to explain it. But if I brought it up, I'll explain it. Absolutely. Yeah. So ultimately, you're certified LGBTQ owned business. And so I joke that I'm a card carrying lesbian. Mm-hmm. I have it on my signature. And you have to have personal references. And you just have to certify that your business is owned by 50% or more LGBTQ identifying person. Gotcha. And that and that's a that's mm-hmm. a big deal in our community. I I used to belong to the organization and then I don't know things got busy and I'm good where sure. I am, but, um, you know, yeah. I think it's a very important piece because again, it puts it out there that number one, there's, there's some significance to it. Number two, it helps show the world that we're still, we are a force to be reckoned with and you can't, mm-hmm. you can't force us to hide into whatever closet you think we should hide into, you know? And, yeah. um, so I'm glad to hear that. So as you stepped away and you started to build your business, it, you know, what were some of the challenges you found being a, you know, lesbian business owner? It must have been somewhat challenging at times. Incredibly challenging. So the business that I chose to go into is working with individuals with the child protective services mm-hmm. uh, realm. And a lot of people who've experienced significant trauma either oftentimes either have very specific views of the world Mm -hmm. or they have found religion in order to help them come out of their trauma and they have very significant feelings. And that's where being out and authentically myself in the clientele that I work with is pretty significant because a lot of people have a lot to say. And they trust me enough to say it. And so not only am I helping them kind of work with their trauma and help them parent their children in safe ways, but I'm helping them like kind of unpack all of their feelings around the LGBTQ community, which unintentionally, it's not something I set out to do, but I help a lot of parents like come to understand their LGBTQ children and their trans children. Mm-hmm. which was not something I set out to do, right. but <laughs> accidentally stumbled into. Yeah. Well, that's kind of me. I did not, when I came out in 1999, I did not, I did not intend to do this work. This was not on the horizon and um, similar, somewhat similar path to you. I'd been high flying corporate exec and, you know, traveled the world, did a lot of stuff and then um, got laid off. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I actually, well, let's, let's rephrase the first layoff. I knew it was coming. I was part of the decision to make that happen. Uh, so yes, I was a golden parachute boy for a moment and, um, then went into a, a startup, 
thought everything was good and then got laid off from that because you're the guy. Oh, we know you'll do fine. You, you know, we need to cut back. I'm like, yeah, I've mm-hmm. heard this story before. I'm done hearing this story. Right. And that was the moment I said, I'm literally done. I am done, done, done. But I didn't jump out to become the coming out coach and do podcasts and speak on. That was not where I went. I'm like, well, let's see. What do I know how to do? I'm a marketing branding guy. So let's let's do consulting. Right. But very similar to my coming out, I realized this isn't alignment any longer with who I am. This just does not align. I'm glad I had all that background because it, it really did help me and continues to help me build my business and the importance of branding and marketing and all that stuff. But it's something that then did serve me when I started working with my clients who are coming out of the closet because I always bring this up with them. Like, don't be surprised. And you're, you're a perfect example of this, that don't be surprised if there's another closet you're going to find yourself coming out of. And it may be work, it may be weight. Like I entered, you know, like I said in the introduction, there's something that you're gonna, you may be really surprised by. You decide you want to come out about this too. And um, I love that you're doing this work. It's got to be really challenging though at times to really work with those traumatic spaces and, you know, really helping those families do that. So, you know, yeah, it's got to be heavy at times. It's incredibly heavy, and it was really heavy before December. And then because it's a non-closeted podcast, we may as well just come out of any closet that there is left. Right. Exactly. Uh, I was in a car accident in December and I suffered a traumatic brain injury. Mm. And so I was doing all of this work, which I am still doing and working with all of my different clients. And then I had to come out to my clients and say, I suffered a traumatic brain injury. I'm different than I was before. Mm -hmm. And this is who I am now. And I'm in the process of just reinventing everything about who I am and how I operate in the world um, with a traumatic brain injury, which is a lot of fun and a surprise. Um, But dealing with all of the different trauma, it's really humbling and really incredible that people trust you with all of those feelings. Like you're coming out clients, they trust you to hold space for their feelings as they learn and grow. People with trauma trust very little and it takes a lot to get there. So the fact that they trust me, I do not take that lightly. Mm-hmm. Well, and that uh, he trust is a huge thing. And then, you know, mm-hmm. trusting yourself too. I mean, there's times mm-hmm. I literally have to step in and really trust myself that to do this work. Yeah. <laughs> because there's days I'm like, okay, but I don't want to, I don't want to screw somebody's life up. And I'm like, well, that's not on me. That really isn't on me. I, I can only mm-hmm. bring them to the, you know, bring them to this and, and they have to take and run themselves forward from there. Um, but there are those challenges at times where I'm like, okay, am I doing the right thing? Am I supporting them in the right way? And as coaches, I mean, honestly, you know, we, we can't help but be somewhat vested that way. I don't want to be like, this person's not getting what they need from me. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you have what you've gone through with, you know, (laughs) this brain injury thing, it's gotta be worse. Now I can relate to that as well to some degree because I, as the listeners know, because I've talked about this before, um, I'm a two-time stroke survivor at this point. First one didn't phase me, really. It didn't. I mean, there was no residuals. Of second one, I didn't think either. But since it did happen, I've noticed a whole lot more. Not anything bad. I walk fine, all that sort of stuff. 
-hmm. have some dizziness, vertigo issues, but I have to really watch like when I'm typing, when I'm sending emails, I have noticed that sometimes I miss the words. Of course, I'm also 59 years old. So give, give, give an older guy a break, right? I'm not <laughs> saying I'm old, old. I'm just saying, hey, I'm an older guy, right? Mm -hmm. But there are times like even when I'm, you know, thinking through some of these things, I really watch who I am because I don't want to put myself in a weird space where I miss something. And I really have found the beauty in all of this of I pay not that I never didn't pay attention, but I find myself really paying attention. And it's been very helpful for me with my, like even this podcast. I, I really like have seen, sometimes I could like be on a podcast and just going, yes, I'm paying attention, but I'm letting distractions get in the way. And then I miss something. And I think for those of us who are in this space where we're helpers, you know, we're helping humanity. And for those of us, who have come out of the closet, there's this beautiful piece of we are very self-aware and yeah. use that self-awareness, literally stepping. I'm not saying the rest of the world isn't. A lot of people are self-aware, but there's something beautiful, I think, about being part of the LGBTQ community where the self-awareness of who we are is actually one of the greatest gifts we could ever give. If we're using it the right way, I know there's a lot of people in our community like, hey, I'm still not really super like self-aware. I beat myself up. And I'm like, come on, you did this huge, amazing, beautiful thing. May not have been the easiest road out, but it happened, right? Mm -hmm. So as you're working with people and, you know, working through this stuff with your own, you know, deficits, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, how do you take and translate that for your clients? Because I think this is a key piece. I mean, kind of like what I just did. I yeah. talk about it, but how do you translate for your clients and be empathetic and help your own experience be part of helping them embrace their own experience? I think it's multiple parts. Number one, I have more empathy. So before my car accident, my brain did mental gymnastics around so many people. It was, it was alarming how well my brain operated. And now as you, you explained it so beautifully, like it just works differently and there's different struggles. So it created a bigger space for empathy for my clients, which I found really great. And it helped me bring up more terminology for helping my clients extend grace to themselves in the areas where they're learning to grow and, you know, kind of their growing edges and where they want to get to. And just kind of the building blocks that they have there. And then the other piece that's been really incredible is even though it's a different type of trauma, people like to know that they're not in it alone. And actually, just like I shared that with you, and then you shared your piece with me, right. I share pieces of my hardship with my clients, and then they share their pieces with me. So we're a little bit more co-constructing yeah. while supporting them through their journey while also having exactly what you said of their success or failure is on them and right. not putting my feelings on them as well. So it's been, it's really cool to see how things have shifted over the last four months and then like just kind of seeing where things will go from there. So as you're working with these people, and I know this comes up, I think you've already alluded to it somewhat, if you have a parent or a child who's actually, you know, okay, let's go child and maybe even parents, but let's go child because mm -hmm. this is a lot of where your work focuses on, who you start to see 
is in that LGBTQ plus space, but you have a parent that's really like, okay, either resistant or very, you know, obviously the parents that are like, okay, just help me figure this out. That's a beautiful thing. But if there's resistance to it, how do you, how do you help them get there? And, and also I'm going to put the caveat out here, folks, that we can only help them get there if they're willing to go there. Right. Exactly. It would be lovely to have a magic wand and just go poof, you're accepting, but you know, that don't happen. So I've, I've told people if I can do that, I would be a bazillionaire. Like people just pay me so much money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Here, you can have access to the wand for this moment. Yep. Yeah. The families that find me are the grownups of trans or queer or non-binary or gender non-conforming children. Uh, That's the specific population that has been finding me over the last couple of years. And I walk them through an exercise. Say, okay, so you get up in the morning, you go in the bathroom, you look in the mirror. What do you see? Do you see a girl? Do you see a boy? Do you see eh, changes day to day? Like, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Whatever your answer is, is your truth. It doesn't matter what I see when I look at you. It doesn't matter what anybody else sees when they look at you. What you see when you look in the mirror is your truth. And that is the same thing for your child. Just because you see something differently, it kind of doesn't matter. Our thoughts and our feelings are the only thing that's 100% ours and 100% accurate. And we need to honor that. And then I help them. There's a wonderful resource. It's genderbread.org. And it helps. I help grownups look at that and talk about, you know, gender identity, gender expression, you know, sexual identity, sexual orientation, biological sex, all of these different pieces. And the beauty of it on that amazing free resource is it isn't just masculine or feminine. It has a range and you can plot somewhere on that range between masculine and feminine in all of these pieces. And then I talk to them about like, none of these concepts are new. They're just Mm -hmm. concepts that people are openly talking about. Mm -hmm. People didn't talk about it before. They just unalived themselves or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. We're just having people be able to live their authentic lives Mm -hmm. And then we talk about the mental health aspects of acceptance and things along those lines. And it's obviously a very long process, but those are some of the earmark parts. I recently, I want to say this was back in May, had a guest on, we had a very interesting conversation about labels and, you know, gender and identities. And and he's a gay guy, but he had a really interesting perspective, which kind of aligns with how I feel too. Mm -hmm. He's like, if we just quit with the labels and you had a conversation with your child, so some people like men or women, so other people like women, other people like men, and that's so that's what you need to know. Mm-hmm. And just kept it really simple. Now, his view was de- definitely interesting. Like, if we could just like, quit promoting the labels so much and just like, okay, some people don't feel like they're a certain gender. There you go. That's the conversation. I do think to some degree, and I love our community. I'm not saying let's change everything, but if we could start to become flag bearers of let's not make this conversation have to be the like 
conversation, like start getting it back to simplicity, which I know is a big ask in this world. I'm not saying mm -hmm. we can make this happen, <laughs> but it is an interesting concept. If I said, yeah, I do. and I do remember one of my clients, and I talked about this on that podcast with him, who came to do the work with me. He was in his mid to late thirties. And he's like, he, he had been married to a woman, but he got divorced, not because this, he just like, mm -hmm. you know, I've been divorced like five years. And, and he goes, but I'm dating a guy. And I'm like, okay, so what, what do you want to do the work on? He goes, well, I'm feeling like I have to define myself as gay right now. I'm like, you don't, you don't have to. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of you don't have to define however you don't want to define. And it was such a power thing. He goes, he goes, well, I just need to feel comfortable in my skin to talk about this. I said, so if you and I met at a party and I said, oh, where is your girlfriend? What would you say? And he goes, well, I have a boyfriend. Oh, so you're gay. No, I just happened to be dating a guy. And it was so interesting to hear him say that because he kept it so simple. Mm -hmm. I think this is part of what we struggle with as a society is why can't it just be that simple? I don't feel like I'm a guy or a gal. I just feel like I'm a human being. I may be attracted and, you know, start a relationship with a woman. I may start a relationship with a man. I may just be attracted to the person. It has nothing to do with the like sex that I want to have, you know? And of course, then we get into the whole world of polyamory, which is a whole nother thing. But I feel mm -hmm. like you're setting the tone in a really beautiful way of, can we just have conversations? Can we just mm -hmm. help you see what needs to be seen? And it's unfortunate that we have gotten to a place as a culture where you have to fit into the box and that, mm -hmm. you know, yes, I know we're humans. We need to have the labels to understand things, but mm -hmm. I, I just, I loved when he and I had that conversation since you and I were kind of in that space, I thought I would bring that up. So where do you yeah. see the biggest struggle for parents? Names, mm. names and pronouns. And I have a really simple way of doing that. It's the most simple exercise and it blows people away. But I say, okay, are you married? And a lot of the people that I work with, the answer is yes. Or are you or have you been married? And the answer is yes. Okay. Did you change your last name when you got married? Yes, I did. Because that's typically what happens in our yep. society. Yep. And I say, okay, did everyone get up in arms about that process? Or did we all just kind of roll with it? Because that's your name. Mm -hmm. Like we make a couple of mistakes, but we just, you know, oh, oh, no, my bad. And we kind of move on. Why is it acceptable to change your name when you get married, but it's not acceptable in any other context? Mm -hmm. What makes one okay and the other not okay? Yep. And they just look at me like, oh, exactly. And I'm like, the mm -hmm. only reason it's not okay is because you're making it not okay. It does not have well, to be all a of this deal. is because all of this is because somebody has said it's it's not been made okay. In fact, mm -hmm. again, folks, I can't. You know, I'm, while we're talking, I'm going to figure this out. But um, it was episode, um, it was episode 569. The guy's name is Parrish. I would invite you all, if you're listening to this one, you didn't hear that one, to go really listen in because he brought some really good stuff up. He he brought up like the history of when the Christianity and, and I think it was Saint, I don't know, Clement or somebody, a king who, who when they brought all this into the Christian faith, like this is, this is, this was created by man. I know mm -hmm. some are going to uh, like push back on that, but I'm also going to invite any of you to go listen to my episode again, Life on Closet with Colby Martin. I don't know when that one is. I don't have that sheet of paper handy here, <laughs> but he wrote a book called Unclobber and it's all about how the Christianity has clobbered the LGBTQ community. He goes really deep in that book about the history and, and the moments in time 
And it's so interesting when you present this, the first thing somebody who does not want to buy into this says, well, that was because man wrote that. <laughs> and I just want to laugh and go, well, guess what, folks? Man also took the Bible and wrote it to their interpretation now. So you know what? All of this is just man doing their thing. And any belief we have around the LGBTQ community and any of those things, and I grew up in a faith-based space where it was like, absolutely, you're not supposed to be this, right? Mm -hmm. I still can challenge that faith so well around this. Please, you know, please specifically tell me in the Bible where actually God put it in the Bible that we are an abomination. And of course, they go to all the typical verses. I'm like, well, actually, nope, that wasn't that wasn't in the original Bible. That wasn't in the original Bible. That wasn't. In the, and people just like you're blasphemous. I'm like, I'm just telling you, I, you know, guess what? The Bible is a man-made history book as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there's beautiful principles in there. I'm not going to knock that. But um, I find it really interesting that people go down that path. That that's interesting that you do the use that exercise. I love that exercise because it's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, people. I mean, I got that when I got married. People, well, no big. It wasn't a big deal when I got married to my wife. But when my husband and I got married, people were like, "Well, are you going to change your name?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> I don't have to change my name. Nobody mm -hmm. actually has to change their name. That's the interesting thing. People don't get it. Oh, you're married." And it's so interesting because I've had several um, girlfriends, heterosexual girlfriends and, and lesbian girlfriends. Well, no, I, let's rephrase. I've had friends. <laughs> I don't have a lesbian <laughs> girlfriend. That would be kind of weird. I'm a gay guy with a lesbian yeah. girlfriend. Okay. I don't want to confuse everybody here, but um, who have talked about how much society looks down on them because they wouldn't change their name to their husband's name. They wouldn't even do the hyphen. They're like, I'm my own person. Mm -hmm. And people just look down on that stuff. So again, there's a man-made construct of, well, this is what, you, because again, the woman is supposed to be submissive to the man. The woman is supposed to be the man's property, blah, 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 blah. I am not my husband's property. I am my loving husband's husband. But there was, you know, I had my reasons for, no, I want to keep my name, you know? I And I didn't see the need to hyphenate it, nor did he. And maybe it was, you know, because we we're older one night, we finally tied the knot. I don't know. I don't have to explain it, but... I think it's just an interesting thing how these constructs guide us even in our own community. You know, our own LGBTQ community sometimes can be so like, well, this is how you do gay or this is how you do lesbian or this, you know, okay, I get it. But um, I don't, yeah. I just don't. <laughs> so, um, so as you redesigned your life, I know there was a thing that you said when you submitted, you know, you're like, hey, I'd love to be on your podcast. What does living authentically mean to you? Because you put that in there. And I'm always curious what, like, what does that look like? You you were in a small conservative community. You moved somewhere, came out, left, you know, recreated your, you know, career. What does being authentic, living authentically really mean for you? Living authentically for me is getting to show up every day in all of my relationships and all of my spaces for exactly who I am without needing to apologize or explain myself away or make myself smaller to fit into someone else's box. I love that. Well, I love that because my whole brand is no apologies. So that's what it's all about. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I don't mean, don't be an uh, unapologetic asshole. I, that is not what I advocate. There's plenty of right wingers out there doing that. Um, just that little plug in. Um, but I, I, I believe that you can be unapologetically who you want to be in the world. And I respect that. I really will respect that provided 
my caveat to that is as long as it's not hurting somebody else and you cannot define hurt as well as against my religion. That's not hurting you. Me crawling in bed with my husband is not hurting you. There is no hurt. You can conjure that up in your own head. You can have some really screwed up view of going to hell because you, you won't accept, you know, me and my husband crawling into bed. And if I accept that, then God's going to look at me and go, well, you shouldn't. That's your stuff. What I'm getting at is if you're doing something that actually hurts somebody, like the trans movements and stuff like that, you know, and our LGBTQ, but sometimes it's not even that. If you're just, mm -hmm. you know, being a jerk because of somebody's political views and like you're wrong and you need to die and all that, that, that is not being unapologetic. You can be unapologetic about your beliefs, but don't let it hurt somebody else. And I love that you brought that up because that's where, honestly, I was tired of the A word. <laughs> I'm like, I cannot put authentic in my brand. I that it is a piece of it, of course. Mm -hmm. But when I landed on being unapologetic, I'm like, that feels pretty solid to me. And I love that you said that too. So as a parent, how do you find yourself bringing all these beautiful things that you've uncovered about yourself, bringing it to your children without saying, you have to be this way because I think that's a fine balance. We as parents, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of this, but I, I like it when I have another parent on the podcast to have that question, because I don't want to be dictating to my kids. Here's how you have to go live your freaking life. So I'm curious what your approach is. I am very passionate in creating the space for my kids to disagree with me and to mm -hmm. tell me just how wrong I am about everything that I think I know. Mm -hmm. And I, also tell my kids to show me who they are rather than let me tell them who they are. And it's been really interesting because I've got some really cool kids who have different ideas of who they are than who I thought they ever would be. And that, like, I love that. I love seeing who they show up every day and try on different parts of their personality that are way outside of anything I ever could have thought for them. I think that's the key is you got to create space. I mean, I, I grew up in a household that was, I'm going to say semi-religious. We had a faith when I was younger. Yes, that was a key part of our faith. As we got older and I got into my teen years, it was, yeah, we'll go to church or whatever. And, and, and then when I got to college, it was forced down my throat because it, it was in a, well, yeah, high school. I mean, I went to call, I went to seventh day Adventist schools all the way up through my sophomore year of college so the practice of being in church and everything was consistent but when I got to college and it was like there were people standing at church checking off to make sure you were in the pew I'm like there's something really screwed up with this right mm -hmm. and I started pushing back and I found ways to not be in church and to go do other things and to go explore other religions and suddenly it was like this doesn't work. I mean, I remember in high school that there were, there were teachers who would be sitting like seven day admins at the, at the time it's changed somewhat, but you know, anything secular was like frowned upon. So secular would mean even going to the movies and there would be faculty that would sit outside the movie theaters in the little town where we live. And if they saw you going in the theater, they would check that down and you'd get called in. Now I didn't get that because I did not live on campus, but there were a couple of times I got, pulled in like you know we saw you going into the theater i'm like yeah you want to talk to my parents about that my parents don't see anything wrong with going to movies um so it's an interesting space but when that is kind of put into your world in that way 
That is precisely why I didn't do that with my own children. I let my kids decide how they want to be in this. Now, the funny thing is my kids are now older. And one of my favorite stories recently was my oldest daughter went to see Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't know. It was sometime before the pandemic, I believe. And she texted me afterwards. She goes, I'm so confused. I didn't know what was going on. You didn't teach me any of this stuff. I said, it wasn't my job to teach you. If you want to go learn that stuff, there's this thing called the Bible. There's this thing called churches. I chose not to put you into that space because I wanted you to be able to choose that for yourself. I think that's a very valuable space for us as parents is to give our kids. And I love that you say you create that space for your kids to push back and question. Um, at times, I didn't do that really well because my dad's a narcissist. <laughs> so my DNA is prone that direction, but I've learned to really start to work with it. And like, okay, I'm going to say my piece. Go figure this out. So I love that. Yeah. I love that creating that space, Sarah. So if somebody wanted to work with you or they're like, hey, I'm hearing like, you know, these things that Sarah's brought up and wow, she's really focused on these families and stuff. Where's a really good space for them to reach out and connect with you? The best place to go is the website. So yeah. everything I've got business-wise is the foster lane. And yeah. it's not just foster care. We foster connections. We foster relationships. We foster growth. Yeah. Um but the foster lane, you can find the foster lane on Facebook, on Instagram, stuff like that. I'm not super active on it because I'm terrible at brand marketing. So I'm just going to be real about that fact. Uh, but while I don't focus my energy there, I do focus it on my clients and the workshops that I have. So, Well, but the thing is, is, you know, you know, sometimes you don't have to be the social media whiz, you know, um, I'm marketing branding guy. And back in the day when all this social media was like starting to unfold. And this was right when I got laid off from that job. I'm like, well, maybe I should go learn this social media stuff. And I did. I learned, you know, at the time it was very little. There was Twitter, maybe Facebook, you know, Instagram and all that hadn't even come on the scene yet. But I, you know, I had to dive in and learn it. But then I also learned like you only need to use it where it makes the most sense. Of course, now today you would think that it needs to be everywhere. But, um, you know, I'm a big advocate of it you know, use it where it makes sense and, and let people find you through the things that matter most like a podcast, um, mm -hmm. things such as that. So, um, yeah. before we wrap up here, what are you most, I hate to ask these kind of questions, but I think it's important. What are you most either proud of or feel most settled in about letting your life have unfolded to this, this space where you no longer felt like I had to hide yourself. What are you most proud of about that? I own peace. And acceptance of myself that I just didn't have before. It's hard to, it's hard to accept yourself and be at peace when everything around you is telling you you're not worthy, you're not mm -hmm. good, don't be that, yeah. you're going to hell, you know, da 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 da. And for anyone listening who may be struggling, I think both Sarah and I would invite you to realize the peace on the other side of this and the acceptance that you give yourself is going to be well worth it. Well, well worth it. Yes, you're going to have people who aren't going to accept you. That's a given. Anybody who tells me, oh, no, everybody embrace me. I I some, I have a real hard time <laughs> embracing that. I believe a lot of people did have an easy way, right? But don't tell me 100% of the people in your circles embraced you because somebody along the way um, isn't. And, and they may not have said it. 
but in their own way, they're not embracing you. So, um, so again, um, Sarah's um, website is the foster lane, L A N E.com. I invite you to go check it out, check out what she's doing. Beautiful work you're doing. I love it. And um, thank you for being here and sharing your story and being open to talk about sometimes some stuff that's not easy to talk about. So um, I really, truly appreciate you. And um, I know my listeners will, if even one person gets something from these conversations, I consider, I always consider it a win. So thanks again so much, Sarah. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here on Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, We'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted, and never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.